Awesome. Ushers are, are here, and what they're going to be handing out, they're going to be handing out a little postcard here so you can take with you, have in your Bible, what we've been preaching on, our Harbor 101 series. We've been going through our vision and our values. My name is Neil Hubacher. I'm the lead pastor of this amazing pastoral team we have, and it's been a wonderful journey for us uh, since the end of January to really kind of state, hey, this is who we are, and this is what we're doing. And Jim's going to help me turn on the lights. Thank you. So you can all see these awesome postcards. They're beautiful. Okay. As you get those, you can review. We've gone through. We are a haven for the broken and a launch to the nations. That's who we are. And the things that God's been calling us to do, he's been calling us to. I'm going to have you repeat these. Everyone say, loving God. There we go. We're passionate for him and his purposes. <clears throat> We're sharing life. Everyone say, sharing life. Sharing life. Right? You're all showing up in faith groups. You're living for one another, not just for yourself, because that gets boring. And lastly, what we're working on this week and next week is we are proclaiming life. Everyone say proclaiming life. Sorry, proclaiming Jesus. Thank you. That's why I have a postcard. Thank you. Wow. I'm going to keep this in my Bible. All right. I'll say it again. Proclaiming Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> okay. We're proclaiming Jesus. Speaking of proclaiming Jesus, I'm super excited. I want to tell you what we're doing over the next couple of weeks. Besides talking about proclaiming Jesus, we're actually going to do it. Our, our service in two weeks from today, our Easter service, promises to be wonderful. And what we're doing is we are actually doing a direct mailing to about 2,500 households in this neighborhood called Rileside. Rileside is to this side of us and also kind of a little bit to this side. And it's just our way of saying, hey, we're here. And what we've done to bless Emmanuel is we've put their information on there too. So 2,500 households in this area are getting a little postcard that says, hey, hope. You know, that's what Easter's about. Come to a traditional service at, uh, I believe it's 10 in the morning. We have it correct. And, or come to a contemporary service here at 6 p.m. on Easter. That's our way of beginning to really proclaim Jesus in this neighborhood. So you won't want to miss it. If you're here in town, please come to Easter service. It also is really a kickoff for a wonderful series you're doing after that. If you've checked out our website lately, just look at the front page. And what's coming after Harbor 101, after Easter, is a series that we're calling Why God Why. And it's all designed for the questions that you and I ask sometimes in our heart of hearts, but especially those who may not consider themselves believers or following Christ, they're asking all the time, like, where is God when it hurts, you know? What is this tension between science and the Bible, you know? Uh, what about prayer? You know, how does this thing work? All these kind of questions that I think you and I ask, but sometimes are, are, are afraid to talk about in church because we feel like we might get um, scolded or whatnot. And of course, Questions that unbelievers are asking all the time. So I just want to encourage you, as we are proclaiming Jesus, you're going to want to start to bring your friends to this service, beginning in Easter and that series all the way through April and into the beginning of May. You're not going to um, <clears throat> miss that. It's going to be wonderful. Awesome. Before I introduce our guest tonight, guest speaker, uh, I just want to say thank you for giving my family the grace that we just had. I come back from Colorado, having attended a conference by Ransomed Heart Ministries. Some of you may be familiar with John and Stacey Eldridge, just their message. You know, he's written some books, Sacred Romance, Wild at Heart, Way of the Wild at Heart, Desire, which was previously published as Journal, Journey of Desire. Kelsey and I are actually now three chapters into the book that John and Stacy co-wrote. It's called Love and War. It's for marriage. And I can highly recommend the first three chapters for you. We're loving it. Kelsey and I are just totally enjoying it. It's, it's enabling us to have conversations that we just are excited to have. Sometimes hard, but good conversations. <clears throat> so tonight as we start to look at Proclaiming Jesus, it's my privilege to introduce to you our uh, Sending Churches pastor. He's my mentor. We've been friends for about 15 years. In a moment, I'm going to ask for a harbor standing O, because that's what we do. 
for guests we get excited about. But Sean has been a friend to me personally. Uh, he also comes to us as one who has total authority to speak on proclaiming Jesus in the way that he will, because he's been living a life ordered around the purposes of God, and he really has an apostolic anointing. What I mean apostolic is someone who plants churches and sees church-planting churches get started. And actually, the reason that you and I, a huge part of the reason that you and I are here in this room is because there was a season back in 2007 where Sean, while he had the full preaching and teaching schedule at our sending church, CFCF in Brighton, which is a neighborhood of Boston, Mass., he would come out on occasional Sundays here to just start to dream with the team. What would it look like to have a church here? And he carried this burden. And uh, it was not an easy time for your family because Sean was maintaining one church and trying to launch another. And so um, we, have, we have every reason to thank Sean Richmond as he comes up. Let's give him a standing O. Sean Richmond, let's welcome him. <laughs> Come on, Harbor. Let's go. Woo! Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I was just sitting here worshiping with you and so overjoyed. What a sweet presence of the Lord in this place. Amen. It is good to be in a place where believers are coming together to worship their Savior and thank Him for the good things He's put in their life and done in their life. So thank you for letting me be a part. I was reminiscing a little bit. Uh, I, I turned around to Sarah Fulton, who was my first... Uh, well, it, it goes back a little, little ways, and I'm going to share a little bit of my story with you tonight, but I'll start here because I wanted to share a prayer with you. But um, uh, we started a church in, in Boston, in Brighton, in 1998, or that's when we moved up as a family from Texas. And... Um, uh, early on in that journey of seeing a, the, the church started, I was also attending Gordon-Conwell, and so actually the very first place that I lived was on the Gordon-Conwell campus in Hamilton, and, um, or South Hamilton, and uh, we would drive into the city um, on the weekends to drive around Boston and pray, God, where do you want to start a church in this city? And so my very first home was in uh, one of the married housing units uh, on Gordon-Conwell's campus. And so this, this area is the first place that welcomed me. Uh, my first um, encounter with Dunkin' Donuts coffee was the, uh, was the neighbors upstairs. That as, we, as we drove in at 1 o'clock in the morning and woke up the whole apartment complex, they came down and said, here's a, here's a bag of Dunkin' Donuts, now go to sleep. You know, so... Um, we were, we were introduced and welcomed graciously and um, uh, going to Beverly Farms and going to the ocean and meeting with God and uh, walking on the Gordon-Conwell campus and being in Beverly often and, and driving around and walking around. This is the first part of my experience in New England. Um, and then shortly into our time of seeing the church started in Boston, uh, I just began to dream for you. I began to dream... God, there is a people uh, that you've called us, you've called as an inheritance for us in Beverly, Mass., or in this area. Uh, Lord, there are students, there are young professionals, there are families that you've called us to, to see a church started among. And um, as a matter of fact, Neil, I don't know if you remember this, because Neil was, Neil was a part of our, our church leadership team. He went to Baylor University of where, where we came from, and he was on my leadership team as we, we planted the church in Boston. It was actually a part of Neil's dream uh, when, he, um, when he went to Baylor that maybe someday as he got a part of, became a part of Highland Baptist Church at that, at that time and then Antioch Church. 
what would it look like for a church to be started back in my, my home area um, near Needham? And uh, so actually Neil and I came on the first scouting trip to this area to, to dream about a church even being started in Boston. Um, but early on, I don't know if you remember this, about two or three years into the church in Brighton, I said, I said to our leadership team, I said, I think we're supposed to start a church um, on the North Shore. And I really feel like that we should start. I think that maybe God is leading me to start it. And everybody in the room, it just got quiet. And they looked at me like, you're an idiot. No, 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 you're not. We're not letting you go. And so the seed was planted, but it wasn't birthed. And a few years later, um, Sarah Fulton and Sarah DeBear, they'd been coming. We'd had a contingency of, of 10 to 12 people that would come or more that would come uh, to our church from the North Shore, from Gordon College and Gordon-Conwell primarily. Sarah, the Sarahs, as we call them, because they always hung out together. I don't know if you're still called the Sarahs, but there was a time when they were. The Sarahs were coming along with others, and um, Jim and Bonnie, Mir- Miriam were apart. Or Jim was coming down, and then Bonnie kind of came in, and I don't know how all that worked, but they were, they were coming, and, and, and some others. And, um, but they graduated. They caught the vision of local church among us, and they said, we love this church, but it's 45 minutes away. And we have a heart for Beverly, and we really were torn because we love the church, but we want to reach our local community. And I looked at him and I said, yes, you got it. That's what we want to do. And so I said, meet me at Panera next week, and let's talk about a church. And so we did. We met in the fall of 2006 and dreamed about a church, and I was, I, I was so thrilled with their excitement of, yes, we'll do it. What do we do? Let's go for it. And from that moment forward, a small group of people began to meet to dream about this church being established. And it all kind of gelled together when Neil received the call from God to lead this church and to, to begin the process of seeing this church established. And so I'm so thankful. And when I was worshiping tonight with you, um, I was reminded of the prayer that, that Paul prayed. And I, I feel, I, I want you to know that this is a prayer that, that is rich in my own heart and that as I pray for you often I I can echo the sentiment that Paul is praying in Philippians 1 when he says I thank my God every time every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. My prayers are rich with joy for you. When I speak about you, I get excited. I I rejoice in all the goodness that God is doing in your midst. And I'm honored to call you my friends and my family. It's an honor for me to, to walk alongside of you and to learn from you and to rejoice in all that God's doing. So thank you for letting me be here. It's a privilege. When, when, when Neil asked me to share, he said you would be going through this, this series, and um, uh, I was so excited because I, I, I love talking about proclaiming Jesus, and I love talking about what it looks like to reach out, and in, in the context of our church, we have the same value set, and when we talk about proclaiming Jesus, one of the values under that, that title is taking risks to make Jesus known. What does it look like to take risks to make Jesus known? 
I want you to look at Acts 20. We'll look at that as our kind of our key passage of Scripture. But as you go there, I want to just say this. You know, when, when um, Jesus um, came to earth, and when He walked upon this land and proclaimed His, his, his love for the people, the, the love that God has for each one of you and I, when He started His ministry, the ministry started out in a place of risk. There was a place of which his message was counterculture to the things that were being spoken, the things that were being lived out. Uh, his greatest critics were those who should have received the message with joy. The church, the people that were following God, were the ones that were his greatest um, critics. And in the midst of seeing people gloriously transformed, healed, delivered, raised from the dead, all of the wonderful things that we read in the Gospels, there were persecutions, there were trials, there were rejections, there were heartaches, there was brokenness. When the Gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, it comes, as the Scripture says, with an aroma, aroma of life for some and an aroma of death for others. It's a dividing message because it comes straight at the heart, straight at the place of the deepest parts of our soul, the places of our longings and our needs, but also the places of our sin and our brokenness. And we all have a choice in whether we respond to this message. Some of us smell it with great joy and some of us, it, it's, it, it repels us, right? From the very beginning, it came with proclamation, this gospel, this good news, but it also came with great risk and great trial. And when we see in Acts, uh, the Holy Spirit, Jesus has died, He's, he's resurrected, he is, his, he's, he's revealed Himself to His disciples in Acts 1, He proclaims uh, uh, this, this coming promise of, of, of the Holy Spirit, and then He ascends into heaven, and the, and the disciples who are already um, under persecution or already um, in, in some senses in hiding because of what has happened to Jesus, their leader. They pray, they wait as Jesus commanded them to do, waited in the presence of the Lord for the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came as we read in Acts 2, fell upon them uh, with great power, the wind of the Holy Spirit, the tongues of fire, the proclamation, the filling of God in their lives. And then what happens as a result of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Peter stands up in front of the crowds that gather and he proclaims boldly about Jesus. He, com he completely stands in front of this crowd and with boldness, uh, with conviction, with, with, with a proclamation of good news, but also a proclamation of, of, of judgment, of, of what our, where our sins leave us. He proclaims this bold message. And we rejoice when we read Acts 2 because it says that over 3,000 people got saved that day. And I've been doing a little study with a few men every Friday morning as we go through Acts and we've been looking at it. And for the first three or four chapters and, and then some, it, it, we're going slow. But as we go through it, every time there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there's a proclamation of Jesus. Every time. There was nothing about that filling of the Holy Spirit, that encounter with God that was supposed to be contained. There was nothing about it that was just for our own good, equipping and encouraging. But every time the Holy Spirit was poured out, there was a proclamation of Jesus Christ. 
It's just a part of the kingdom. And we see in Acts 8 that through that place of proclamation, there also came persecution. And so much so that it says that the church was what? Scattered. The church was scattered because of persecution. But was it scattered for for no purpose? No, God allowed the persecution to come, allowed the scattering to happen for what purpose? To what? Proclaim Jesus. To speak about Jesus. Philip goes out and proclaims Jesus. Stephen goes out and proclaims Jesus. With what effect? Miracles, healings, salvations, churches started, persecution, death. It's the full package, right? There is a risk. There is a risk if we're living passionately for God. It's not, it's not going to always look like the worst. It's not always going to look like death. It's not going to always look like beatings. But it is going to come with a cost. And we've got to be willing to take the risk. Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus. And here's Paul, stop for a second. Here's Paul, who himself was a persecutor of the church. And then he becomes one of the greatest evangelists for the church after Jesus Christ saves his life. And so now the one who is persecuting is the one that is at the front end of missionary work, proclaiming Jesus and planting churches. And Paul says, for Miletus, Paul, I mean the scripture says, for Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I have lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul is one who has been dramatically affected by the grace of God. One who sat affirming the stoning of Stephen. One who saw people killed, who he later became, he later realized were the very saints of God. A man who is overwhelmed by God's forgiveness and His mercy and His goodness said, I cannot do anything but finish the race of proclaiming with my life and my words the goodness of the grace of God. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our calling. You have different gifts in this room. You have different backgrounds and you have different futures ahead of you. But one future that all of us share in common is the compelling um, uh, call of God to be 
unashamed of Jesus Christ and to proclaim Him boldly through our lives and our proclamation. It is, it is a calling that God has placed on all of us. And it is one that I would challenge you to give yourself to fully, no matter what the cost. Taking risks for God is overcoming our own fears to share the life and message of God's redeeming love. And I want to just talk about a few fears that we might face, just like Paul did in proclaiming Jesus um, in the midst of risk and trial. The first fear that we see is this, this fear of man, this risk of reputation. Verse 19, although I was severely tested by the plot of the Jews... I, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. There will be a testing of your reputation. There will be a fear that you have to overcome if you're going to live boldly for Jesus that accosts your reputation. Are you a man or woman of no reputation, meaning that you are willing for your name to be slandered or abused or ridiculed for the sake of Jesus. I have a dear friend who is a successful businessman in our church. Um, and if you, uh, if you are in the business world or if you know those who are in the business world, um, image and uh, uh, image is so vital in the business world, or it's such a place of challenge for those who are in that world. You, you dress up, you look good, you have good presentations, you're slick, you gotta, you gotta say the right things, you gotta be careful that you don't say the wrong things. There's a political atmosphere to the culture of the business world of shaking hands and making friends, you know, uh, say, saying what you need to say to get the deal done. Uh, you don't want to burn any bridges in the business world. You, you want to make sure that all your bridges are intact so that you can have, uh, have easy access for, for any kind of business deal or any situation that needs to happen in the future. It's all about con contacts and making money, right? Dear brother in the Lord who's in the business world. And I was so proud of him a few years ago as he was growing in his relationship with God. And as God was getting a hold of his life and he was counting the costs of what it looks like to be one who is excellent in his field, but also excellent in the kingdom. Um, feeling the conviction as he had gotten to know his boss, and as he watched his boss, and he worked for a, uh, he, he worked for a very important financial institution in the heart of Boston, and as he got to know his boss, he, he began to see that his boss's life was falling apart, and especially in the area of his marriage. And one day, God just put it on his heart, Michael, you're here to minister to your boss. And you're here to let him know about Jesus. And I remember praying with him and him saying, I really feel like I've got to share with my boss about Jesus. Recognizing what might be at stake. But one day he was in his boss's office and he, um, he just knew this is the time. You know, I think that maybe they had had an interaction uh, off the record about what was going on in his boss's personal life and 
And my friend just knew this was the time he was to share. And so with boldness, but with tenderness and sensitivity, he began to share from his own personal story how Jesus has got, got a hold of his life as a young businessman years before in Atlanta, Georgia, as he was on, on, uh, on assignment there, and uh, began to share with him how God had transformed his life. And to his joy, there in that office, his boss began to weep under the conviction of the, the story of this man's life. In this whatever floor, high-rise office building in Boston, my friend decided that it was worth taking a risk to enter into the personal life of his boss, knowing that it might affect his job or his career at that moment, to share Jesus. Not concerned about his reputation. Where do we live in regards to our... Is it worth it to us with our family... Some of us, the family is the place of reputation. With some of us, it's our work associates. Some of, it's, some of us, it's our neighbors. Where are we in willing to take a risk to overcome that fear of man to let Jesus be known? Another fear that we de- deal with is the fear of the unknown. It says in verse 22, And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing, not knowing what will happen there. Paul didn't have a clue most of the time, what was going to happen, although there were some warnings as he goes on to later, not fully knowing what was going to happen to him. And for some of us, the, the stepping out for Jesus, the living a life of faith with God, proclaiming Him, is a, what, what stands in our way is the fear of the unknown. God, what is going to happen to me if I speak? What is going to happen to me if I go? And I want to just say this as we're, as we're looking at this. This is not just about telling somebody about Jesus. But God's ultimate goal in our proclamation is that people would come to know Jesus and they would form pockets of community because we can't live the gospel alone. We are meant for each other. We are meant for community. I can't make it without you. You can't make it without me. 1 Corinthians 12 is very clear that we each have a part in the body and that we need each other to survive. So when the gospel goes out, it's going out not just for one, but for twos and tens and hundreds and thousands that they might gather in communities to experience the life of God. And one of the ways that we fearlessly proclaim Jesus is by going out and planting churches, by going out as teams and starting new works. And as we, uh, as a movement of Community of Faith International, which you are a part of CFI, part of what we do is say, God, we don't know what's out there, but we know that it's worth going out there to establish a new community of life in a place that needs it. You're about to send some of your, your, your dearest people out this summer to northern Africa to be a part of a, a church that is, that, is, that is emerging in that area, of a group of people who said, we're willing, a young couple with a, with a small child, a single man who um, uh, has no prospects of marriage before him, right? But is saying, okay, I'm going to go to a people that I don't know and, and not live for the, the, the thought of I've got to find a wife or get married, but I'm going to go as a single man and live for the gospel. Um, another, another couple uh, that uprooted their, their, their lives to go. And this team is living there, learning the language, fully immersed in a culture that is not their own, 
facing the risk. At this time, just a few weeks ago, the government began to crack down and begin to invade home groups and churches throughout the country and began to expel people out of the country and to shut down the church in this country with great risks to stay put, to persevere, even in the face of what we don't know will happen in the future. Are you willing to live such a life like these that you would say, God, you've been so good to me. Your salvation has been so great in my life that I want to overcome the fear of my reputation being lost, the fear of the unknown, or the fear of hardship. Verse 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. Persecution might come in various forms. I remember, I think Neil was a part of this trip, but we were doing an outreach to Boston. We were in the middle of, of the square in Harvard. Everybody know, does it, do people know about this square where the, the red line comes up and there's this, this, this circle area that people hang out in? And we thought, you know what, we're going to do a drama right in the middle of the square. And we had this funky-like dance drama that we were doing with metal sticks or whatever. You know, it was kind of, it was interesting. And... Um, <laughs> But we were doing it, and at one point we put the sticks down, and you know, we're beating them and, and, and doing some stuff, and we put them down, and then people on the side that didn't like what we were doing picked them up and, and threw, threw one of them at one of the guys. You just never know. I, I was preaching after that or preaching at another time during that outreach, and a guy came up to me as, as we were talking, and we were having a conversation. I'm a friendly guy, and I put my hand on his shoulder, and he, he hits my hand out of the way. He says, don't you touch me. He says, I know who you are and we're coming after you. And I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, it was like, it was demonic. I was like, okay. He says, we're going to, you know, he's something like, we're going to wipe you out and you are going to be destroyed. <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay, get behind me, Satan. I <laughs> love you, brother, you know. <laughs> but the persecution, and that's, that's just a situation, but what about the per- persecution of rejection of, of family? We, we share with many people, especially people from other countries, especially from people from Muslim backgrounds or Hindu backgrounds, where the acceptance of Jesus Christ comes with the rejection of their family. Are we willing to overcome the fear to accept and proclaim Jesus, even at hardship, or the fear even of death? Verse 23, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. We have dear missionaries in Palestine, or that used to be in Palestine, who when uh, the invasion, when the Israeli armies came in to kind of push back some stuff that was going on in Palestine, they lived in the middle of that that, that, um, onslaught. And they had such a love for the people that God had called them to that they didn't leave the city when the calls to leave the city had come because they wanted their, fam- their friends that didn't know Jesus, they wanted to, them to know that we didn't just come in here um, when it was safe, but we want you to know that we're willing to risk our lives in being with you so that you know the love of Jesus. Are we, are, are we starting to count the costs in our life even now that God, whatever the fear... Whatever the risks, I'm willing to make you known. We're doing it. 
And I want to just share with you just one testimony about a risk in my own life that's happening that, that has something to do with just who we are and where we are together. But this morning, um, as we talked about taking risk and making Jesus known in the area of planting churches, we shared the story of how God moved us up to start a church in 98 as a church plant that became a church, a vibrant, wonderful church. I hope that you have an opportunity to visit us at some time in Boston, uh, a beautiful expression of God's life in the heart of the city. And how God began to move us in our, from a church to a church planning church. And you were a part of that as Neil went out and Jim and Bonnie and Sarah and Sarah and Dela and different ones and Beth have come up to be a part of this church to see it started. Um, we, we began to walk in the inheritance as a church, as a church that starts churches. In 2008, uh, the harbor got started. At that same time, the church, the church plant team in northern Africa was sent out. And in our hearts, it's not just to be a church planting movement, but as CFI, we, we want to, I mean a church planting church, but we, as CFI, want to become a church planting movement. A, a, a place where multiple churches are sent out, where the harbor, as a part of who we are, is also seeing churches started. And I know as I talk to Neil, that there's already dreams on paper and being proclaimed and dreamed for, for churches uh, a church in Burlington, Vermont, I'll speak it, Burlington, Vermont is an inheritance of the harbor. Um, churches, I believe, in India or other places, I don't know where they're going to go, but we're believing for churches locally, internationally, throughout the world. And we're doing the same at CFCF. Um, today we announced that our college pastor, Travis Phillips, and Travis and Joy, along with our singles um, pastor, Adam Reed and Shelley Reed and um, some key people in our college ministry, the Salskis and John Kalindo and Kristen Van Dorn and Canella Winstead are going to be sent out come uh, the spring or the winter of January of 11 to plant a church in Tempe, Arizona. And I want to share with you kind of this, 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 uh, this word in Isaiah 54 that has been a, a key verse for our, our movement that we've been planted out of, but a key verse for our church as well that I believe is taking shape in our midst. Isaiah 54, verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. We are seeing with the planting of the harbor, with the establishment of a church in northern Africa, and now going out to Tempe, that the the tent is spreading out, that the the, the cords are lengthening, and that stakes are going going into the ground, so that God can provide a bigger canopy, a bigger place through what He's doing in us, to see more people come to know Jesus, more churches established in His kingdom advanced. So we're excited about that. We're also excited about a vision that was placed in our heart a couple of years ago as Mark Buckner, a, a missionary to Indonesia and an advisor to our board, who came in and said, I really believe God is, I, I see 12 churches in 10 years in the Northeast. And so we're holding on to that vision. We believe that's a part of God's calling for us. And we believe that in the next 11 years, we'll see nine churches planted because the harbor is that first church of, of, of planting. And we're believing that in the next 10 years, we're going to see 12 churches started in the Northeast. And one of the ways that we're seeing that happen in our church is by a local strategy of planting churches within the Boston area. 
So this morning we communicated that another part of the vision that God has given us is that we are going to begin to see churches started in the local Boston area that come together for, for general uh, ministry opportunities, especially for our training through our training schools, a lot like Elevate, um, or wait, um, Navigate. And um, we're going to plant local churches. And one of the, m- the more significant things that we shared this morning is that we're going to start a church in Waltham in the fall of this year, and that I'm going to go lead that church to Waltham. So we just shared with our congregation that their pastor is stepping out to, to start a new church. And so uh, Jeff Bianchi, who is on our staff as our associate pastor, is going to take over the leadership of CFCF. The present staff is going to stay in place. And then I, with my wife and a, and a team that we're developing, are, are going to step out to see a new work established. Why? Because God has given us something so rich and so wonderful. We want to take it to more communities so that God's glory and His grace can be proclaimed and community in Him can be established in an exciting way. It doesn't ever stop. We don't ever stop saying, God, what is the next risk that you want me to take? It could be, it's time to share with your neighbor. It could be it's time to uh, start, a, start a, a faith group or a life group uh, in a, in a, at your workplace. It could be, you know, it's time for you to go to the nations. But God is wanting you to be willing to pr- take risks to proclaim Jesus, to see churches established so that His glory may be revealed. So would you join with me in that? Would you as a church say, we're in. We're into what God is doing. We are excited not about just being in a new facility. We're we're excited about not just growing as a church, which is awesome, but God is growing you as a church so that you can be a church planting church. He is growing you numerically, but also growing you spiritually, deepening your walk with Him so that you have a foundation to send out people to this area, to send out people to the Northeast, to send out people to the United States, to send out people to the nations, to see His glory proclaimed in churches established. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we are so excited about what you're doing. I'm so excited to be a part of your kingdom. Um, I'm so excited that even though I don't know what comes ahead, I know that it's good with you. Lord, I'm so excited that even though, um, uh, Lord, uh, there are risks ahead, and that, Father, possibly there are trials and persecutions. I know that they're coming. That God, I can walk into this future with confidence because I know who walks alongside of me. That Jesus, you are one that sticks closer than a brother. That you have proclaimed that where there is fear, your perfect love casts it out. And that God, what is impossible for me to comprehend or to do is possible with you. God, would you sow that seed of faith into this church right now. Lord, would you raise up people that are willing to risk it all to proclaim you. God, would thankfulness be worth it? That we are just so thankful we'd be willing to do it because of what you've done in our lives. Would that love for you compel us, as Paul said, for the love of Christ may we be compelled. But also, Father, would a love for those who don't know you be stirred in us 
that we'd be willing to exchange our life for another that someone might know you in a way that we know you. That we would be in a sense willing to get out of this spiritual jacuzzi of comfort and encouragement to take it to a desert place in somebody's life or a community that needs the oasis of God. We're asking, Father, that we would not sit comfortable, but that we would sit eager, ready to be used as you call us. We ask this in Jesus' name.